Hey, what's up everyone? This is Deja from Crime Time. I stole the mic from Vance and Doc and came out of podcast retirement for a minute to do a companion episode with Rifa, TNS crew. He was the godfather of the Sacramento freight scene and really pioneered a freight movement there that uh, continues today. He in Asia has so many iconic cars, I'm excited to finally have the, the other half of the story. So, welcome Rifa. Get some shit going and then bless the metal. She's like, what's that? I said the inside of an ambulance. The Crime Times IG account, like all these old school photos. Where are these coming from, man? There's some epic. There's some epic. Best station in the nation. Yeah. Well, I gotta do something to maintain this beautiful body. We should just stay together. Yes. There's no time. Like, 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 time. Crime Time's a place to be, you know? I mean, if there's any place I'm gonna be, you know, it's it's here at Crime Time. Why won't you quit? That whole question is an interview. <laughs> I, I'm hoping for like a two-hour interview, man. <laughs> All right. Whatever you I'll can give me. On that one, but um, let's roll through it. All right. So start with the beginning. Uh, just introduce yourself to everyone who you are. Uh, this is Reefer One, Rural Equality, Father of Law, the Revolutionary Educator for Africa. Killing them freights in the Golden State, you know what I mean? Nice. <laughs> How'd you get your name? Uh, you know, um, pretty much like I introduced it, it's an acronym. You know, it just spells Reefa. You know, I'm a writer from the 80s, and um, hip hop from its very beginning was about identity, consciousness, and awareness. So, you know, me connecting to an idea and a philosophy that melds with that is natural. Cool, man. Was it was it always an acronym? Always, from the very beginning. Really? I mean, I had. I mean, it's not my first writing name, but it's the writing name I'm most known for. I wrote the most. Right. Uh, tell us, tell us, like, how you got into graffiti. When was the first time you picked up a can? Um, well, I've been into writing in terms of looking at it since the first time I seen it in the 70s as a kid, going to visit grandparents and family in uh, New York City, particularly in uh, Brooklyn and Harlem. Um, but I started actually practicing as a writer in uh, Oakland, 1984. It's about 12 years old. Uh, mostly just tagging. Didn't, you know, when I first started the first couple of years, I didn't do any pieces. Just bombing with Marcus tagging. You know, I didn't know nothing about no pieces. I'm a little kid. <laughs> I get my hands on some markers and I would tag up. I, you know, I wasn't smooth enough just yet to be stealing a bunch of paint and stuff. But, um, 
I did do some drawings. I was drawing pieces. There's some feedback or something. Okay, yeah, I'm on my bike, but I'm almost to my house. <laughs> okay. Which is a few blocks away. All right, cool. Uh, so what was what was the first thing you wrote? What was your first name? My very first tag was a derivative of my name, my last name at the time, um, which was, the initial was D, so I used to write Ice D. Nice. You know, <laughs> typical kind of little b-boy name. And it wasn't really just about writing, it was more just about hip-hop all the way around, because... I was in the B-boying, and that was just my B-boy name, Ice D. You know, basically just trying to be young and cool, <laughs> do my thing. Then after that, um, my actual first straight up and down writer tag was Motive, M-O-T-I-V. Nice. And, um, you know, kind of self-explanatory. I think what attracted me to the name was also the letters. I like the M. I like the T kind of in the middle because I can make the T into a character. But, you know, that name didn't last long. Um, the name that was most dominant in my early years was Fiend, P-H-E-E-N, you know, because I was a fiend for this art. You know, by that stage, I would say, you know, 14, 15, 14 years old. I was 14. I started writing Fiend. I was, um, I was, I was totally strung out on art form. At that point, I was smooth with the stilling. I was getting some spray paint and I was starting to try to do my first pieces. You know, so you're looking at around 1986, 86. Into 85, beginning of 86, I was doing my first pieces. And uh, this is in the Bay Area. You know, I hadn't moved to Sacramento yet. I was um, riding between Oakland and Berkeley. You know, one of my parents lived in Berkeley. So I got it in with the Berkeley Riders. And um, one of my parents lived in Oakland. And I went to high, I went to high school in Oakland. So... A lot of the crews I first wrote with were from Oakland because I went to school with them. What were those crews? Uh, well, crews and everything were just starting out, you know. Yeah. As uh, in '84, and there was writing going on '83 too, but things didn't really start kicking off crew-wide till like '84. The more well-known crews, anyway. You had crews like OAL, Out and Living Crew. I think the president of that crew was Plato. He was definitely an Oakland bomb and king. And you had Dale Fresh, who uh, had his crew Bomb Squad, that later became Bomb Squad Kings. And so I looked up to them guys. And uh, some of the members of the OAL crew went to my high school. So I went to school with people like Kill and Idea. And the dudes had dope pieces running in Oakland, you know, mostly at the 23rd Yard, which is one of our Hall of Fames here in Oakland. So you're doing a lot of piecing. When did uh, when did you get into trains? I hit a couple trains 
in the, I would say late 80s, about 88, I started um, doing some trains. I can't say I was into it. It was more like I'm at a yard. They laid some up here at the yard. So I'm going to catch some straight letters, stamp on it, or some throw-ups, you know, or a bunch of tags. But it wasn't like I'm going to the yard to hit some trains. Right. It was more of an afterthought. Like, I hit the wall. I got scrap paint. I'm going to hit this train. You know, and I didn't think much of where it would go or anything. I just knew that occasionally trains rolled through and they had some uh, pieces and tags on it. There were only a few riders that were piecing trains in the Bay Area in the 80s. And uh, one of the major influences, I would say, in terms of hidden freights in the 80s was uh, Picasso. And um, Picasso and w, his crew, WCF, West Coast Funk, um, they had some, they did a few freights, but he was doing the most. And not just doing them, he was doing full-blown wild style full color burners you know and he even brought uh, a young girl out at that time who did some she wrote Shin Shin this was 88 you know? so those you find any pictures of those those are rare those are from the 80s I would say 87 88 yeah were you flicking your stuff at that point were you documenting uh, you it you know I got I think a couple pictures with just throw ups from like 88 but that's it. Um, nope. Not a lot of documentation of that stuff. Because most of it was just like low end. It was just like some stat letters. It wasn't like anything I put a whole lot of thought into. I didn't start hitting the phrase for real until the 90s. Early 90s. Is that when you moved to Sacramento? Or were you doing that even in nope. San Francisco? I moved to Sacramento in um, 88. The end of 88. Yeah, so most people, I think, know you for from your trains um, and from the Sacramento days. At least that's that's kind of where I first saw, saw your stuff. Um, right. How did that all get started? Well, my man, Asia, moved up. You know, he was a Berkeley writer. I knew him from the B-Town before I even moved to Sac. And so... Um, you know, we connected when he got up to Sacramento, and we just started writing together, you know. We put him down with our crew, the, Sac uh, the Sacramento crew of Rule, you know, and of any, basically any worth any mention uh, for the time was TCB crew. Um, Toons was the president of that crew. Um, when I moved to Sac, they put me down with that crew, but this was like the elite. These were the kings. And um, so I got down with TCB, and then when Asia got here, he got down with TCB. But he and I really liked to do a lot of late-night street bombing and rooftops, freeways, billboards, buses, <laughs> light rail, <laughs> you know, fun shit. So we started a division of the crew called TNS. TNS stands for originally the Night Shift. And taking no sellouts. Nice. <clears throat> I mean, it's got a few other ones, you know, but those are the main two. The you, night shift. You two were the original members. We are the original, the founding members, president, 
and co-president or president <laughs> and vice president. I, mean, I guess what you could say would have very first started, he would have been the president. I was the vice president. But it wasn't really its own crew. TNS is a division of TCB. We're like the Navy SEALs of the same crew. <laughs> it wasn't a separate crew initially. And it's still to- not totally, you know what I'm saying? Some aspects of it change. Now you could be a member of TNS, but you ain't a TCB, you know? <clears throat> so it's, it was kind of a tear down, but a little bit different. You know, we're basically the Navy SEALs, the ones that go out on the missions. The TCB nice. was a little more glossy, kind of do nice fly productions and shit. So at that point, is that when you guys started getting into trains? What year was what year was TNS formed? TNS formed in '91. Um, by '92 or three, we were hitting trains. Mostly at first, just a whole bunch of little small straight letter pieces, and by '94, we was doing full on styles and productions. Yeah, that's the, that's the stuff I remember. And at that point, no one was doing that on trains that I saw yeah. anyway. Well, I mean, the, the freight movement was really alive at that time in the early 90s. You know what I mean? So if you're just doing some straight stamp letters on trains, I mean, you're just like another mosquito bite on a train like everybody else. Hmm. So um, you had certain writers out there that was just killing the, the lines like King 157. Um, you definitely wouldn't go catch him in the numbers game. You know, I just didn't have that kind of time, <laughs> you know, working, school, other shit. But, um, you know, just don't have that kind of time. And we didn't have the luxury of this, even the yards, you know, we didn't have the hookup like that. I, I, most of, I would say 99% of whatever you've seen TNS do was done late night, illegal. Like sneak in the yard, sneak out the yard. We was, try- we was basically painting them up like it was subways because it was just illegal. It wasn't we didn't have daytime layups. Did TCB do any like legal walls? Illegal. Or, or... Um, the members of TCB that were into doing illegal stuff were in TNS. Okay. Cool. I mean that's that's kind of how that worked. <clears throat> All of the members, no, but the ones that did get it in like that, yeah. You know, it wasn't just trains. I mean, we were doing walls, highways, bombing, and everything. Late night productions, whatever. Um, It's not that TCB never did anything like that. They did. Matter of fact, the first night I met Tombs, we did freeways in SAC. Like, the freeways in SAC had full-blown pieces and productions back in 1986 and 87. And that shit had been running old by the time I moved up there in 88. And then we did some more. The first night I rocked with them, that's what it was. So it's not that TCB don't have a legacy of doing shit like that. They also had rocked a, a parking garage on Alhambra um, at all these different floors and hall and doorway, you know, stairwells and stuff because Tunes and a couple other cats, they used to skate. And so they would skate these parking garages and sack and they would piece them too. Nice. Yeah. Matter of fact, that's actually how me and Toons met. 
because I used to skate. I had a Santa Cruz blockhead. Nice, man. <laughs> and I was with <laughs> another brother named Travis. He went to Sac High. And uh, we was out skating. And, you know, as we would skate, I would stop, pull my marker out, and hit like an electric box. I had like a, a pilot. And he was like, oh, you do that? I said, yeah. He goes, man, I got a friend who does that shit. I said, really? I said, who is it? He says, I don't remember what his tag was. He says, I said, well, I gave him my number. I said, well, when you talk to him again, give me my number. I didn't really know no writers up there, at least none that were worth talking about yet. And so I was trying to connect with writers and sign. And uh, he hit me up that night. And I skated back to this. I met him at the school. I skated up to the school. He was up there. He had his deck. And Toons could skate so good, he was like pro. Wow. Yeah. He was like a pro skater. And so um, I'm just saying, you know, there was a connection with that, too. Did Did Asia skate? Nah. When any, were any of the other Sacramento guys into skating besides? Uh, uh, I think Speck. Speck used to skate. Oh, huh, that's cool. So you had a Santa Cruz. How long did uh, when did you stop skating? What what time what time frame were we talking about? When did I stop skating? When it was cooler <laughs> for me to have a car and pick up a girl. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. So I don't know when I got you know when I got out of high school I got grown you know. Sure. I think I still I still had my deck. It was like my backup, you know. But just straight up. I'm finna just go skating with the homies. Probably till I was 18. That's cool. I'm I'm getting these out of order a little bit, but well, the last question you asked was, you know, why did we do some of the styles and things that we did? Just like I said, we were trying to make our stuff stand out. Yeah. And if that's... I couldn't have like 10 pieces just running by when you see a long ass train going, if we had one car in the end just rock like it was a wall just we just ignore that we paint on a train paint like it's a wall that's gonna have an impact because even like ooh, ooh, when that whole car goes by you're gonna be like ooh, that was the whole thing impact yeah no, and so my favorite cars were those hopper cars you know and um sometimes we argue about whether we was gonna paint right on the hump or paint on top of the hump because i like to paint <laughs> over the hump so i would bring little stepladder, two crates, and so my piece of 3D would sit on the hump. You know, he liked to just kind of do what he was going to do where the hump could be going through the piece or the 3D is on the hump. I didn't like the obstruction. <laughs> but, you know, but those were the favorite cars, and there was a spot I knew in SAC where they laid them up at night. So I was like, you know, we're going to go up there and take one out. And that's what we would do. We did those, and then we did a bunch of little small pieces, too. But um, what we're known for are the production cars. And how long would those take? A night. Just a full night? Yeah, you know, we get out there after 10 o'clock, maybe around midnight, paint to like 3 or just before the sun come up, bounce. Sometimes it'd be like an hour before the sun come up, and you just kick it in a boxcar and try to take a nap. Son, come up, take a picture. <laughs> the fuck on. Did you usually get morning after shots? Oh, definitely, because we okay. paint live yards. If you let your shit sit, I mean, if you painted it on the weekend, 
and you caught it by Sunday, it was good. But if you paint, if you know, come Monday, yo, your shit pulling out. I mean, we had pieces pull out. We had pieces pull out. There were a few cars we did where we got all the way up to doing the final outline, and you just heard the brake release. <laughs> and that motherfucker just said, Phew. we're like, no. So, matter of fact, there was a sin size car that he and I were doing end to end that's running. With it has a partial outline, it's completely filled, 3D is on it. That's it. Oh, Ain't man. finished, just running. <laughs> There's a few of those. You know, if there were just certain parts of the yard as we learned it that we didn't know, we were like, yo, there was one particular yard downtown site, and part of the yard we called the string. And this was a little bit set off. It was still a part of the layup, but it was more set off to the side where it was just one track by itself, kind of on an elevated mound. And that's why we called it a string, because it would be a string of cars. And so I used to work where I had to pass the yard. So sometimes I roll past there, I see it, and I get to the hut, I call up Asia, and I would just be like, yo, the string is loaded. And he'd be <laughs> like, word? He'd be like, yo, let's go hit that shit. But we also knew that if we were able to get in there on the weekend, that them cars was going to be sitting there for a couple of days. So if you did need the insurance of coming back, you could. But most of the time, nah, we just knock them down one night. Sometimes we do more than one car tonight. Most of the, there, there were several occasions where we did that. We're going to do more ones here with more funk, more arrows and shit. Then we're going to do the next car. We're going to have more straight letters. <laughs> we're gonna put, but since the letters are straight, we're going to put characters on that car. And would you both do characters and letters, or did one of you sometimes do all the letters, and some one of you do would do the characters? How did that work out? Yeah, Asia didn't really do characters. Um, I I wouldn't necessarily say that he couldn't. He just wasn't into it. Just was not his thing. He was hmm. all totally in the letters, and he definitely was good at doing simple and straight letters. So I mean, we would just divide it up like. If there were going to be characters, yeah, I was doing them. If there were going to be straight, simple letters, like the stamp letters to say the crew's name, he does that. Nice. So if I'm working on the characters, he's working on the cloud. You know, we work as a team, get it done. Would you guys go in there with, like, sketches, or would you just freestyle it? Both. We, we were already seasoned writers before we came to SAC. So, I mean, a sketch is more like you're trying to explore a very specific design but we could go on there and just be like yo we're gonna do some straight letters tiktok with this kind of feel and boom and i'd be like all right let's go we you know we we knew the styles that we did well enough where we could just talk about it and then go do it yes sometimes even with the characters you know there were stock b-boy characters i just knew how to draw then there were other times where, yeah, we would take a sketch. Probably one of our most famous cars is that wood chipper car. It looks like a big, giant-ass rolling wall. Just kind of, I think it was Southern Pacific. Big Southern Pacific car. It had a character. It had a silhouette of the, the Bay Bridge on it. And uh, Oh, yeah. I know, I know exactly yeah. what one you're talking about. I love that car. Yeah. That car, um, we had sketches. What's your favorite car that you did with Asia? 
um, you know, it's hard to say one, you know what I mean? There were, there were a few and for different reasons. Some car, cars I really liked wasn't necessarily because the art was better than the other ones. It was just the, the feeling, the emotion, the drama, the story. I mean, all of that is a part of the narrative that makes, when you look at it, that's what it took to make the piece, you know? So some of those, you know, it's, it's, it's different. It's totally hard for me to say. Um, but that car probably that I mentioned is probably one of the most memorable um, because that was a big, long-ass car. And uh, and just the shit we had to go through, you know, <laughs> pol- police coming, hiding, you know, them rolling through the yard, not knowing that we were actually painting on that car and us hiding and just going, nah, we finishing this car putting the ladders under the train on the track and then pulling that shit back out and doing the car anyway. Yeah. We had a lot of missions like that. Yeah. Tell tell us the story of, of that car specifically. I mean, we had seen these cars sitting and these were further down toward the main part of the yard. So closer to the Amtrak area. And, um, of course, you know, you're closer to workers, you're closer to police you know, that's going to be a hotter spot to paint. You know what I'm saying? And that yard is much more active, you know, so you you got a limited amount of time to do it. And where that train was, wasn't set off several tracks into the yard. It was on the last track facing the street. So people that drove around that little, almost a cul-de-sac curve near the yard, if they just look through the chain link fence, they could see you. And there's street lights on the street, so we weren't like in pitch darkness. It it reflected into the yard, so you could see us. You know? So we weren't really hid. It was just like, fuck it. Just paint. Like it ain't nobody's business. <laughs> and that's what we got in there and did. You know? But you got spooked uh, halfway through and had to hide and then come back to it? We'd be paying attention, you know, if we saw security. We would, you know, they didn't know we were there, but we saw them. We would just hide, let them do their little lap through, and then when they did they lap through, we'd pull the shit back out, keep working. It's cool. You know, we knew more about them than they knew about us. Like, we would really watch the yards. Like, I mean, there were times we would go in these yards just sitting there. Don't paint shit, just observe. We knew, what, we knew when everything was moving and coming in that yard. You know, by that time, anyway. So, you know, we painted it. You know, it was quite a feat. We were hella juiced that we pulled it off, and it was kind of balls out. We took some funny-ass pictures in front of it. (laughs) And then uh, we split. And um, then that train split. (laughs) It stayed there for only a few days, you know. But it split, and I guess, you know, it got seen. There were a few other yards we pieced. We, we rocked a nice car I liked over in um, in West Sac. We did a sim size. It had kind of like some greens and olive greens on the fill. believe uh, maybe a hunter green outline. Kind of funky wild style. That was a nice car. Um, I had fun when we did the, the Spark and Mad Isms car. What's interesting about that story is that we did two cars. And 
while we were working on that car, we had, and you know, I stacked the crates up. You know, we would store, we would stash crates in the bushes in these yards, and we would grab them out of the bushes when we go to paint, so you'd have to carry no ladder or be walking with shit. You know, um, matter of fact, it got to one point where we're so sophisticated that we actually ch- uh, chain locked uh, a ladder in the yard. We just hid it. And when we go to the yard, we need a ladder, like an eight foot ladder. We unlock that ladder, <laughs> bring it into to the truck to the car. You was painting. You had your own personal ladder there. Yep. That's cool. Sure did. So with this particular night, we have ladders. He's on crates, and I don't know if you've ever painted on crates before, but painting on a crate is cool. Painting on two crates is cool. Painting <laughs> on three crates, you might have problems. Right, because it ain't really stable. If you know, once you get that high on crates, if you're reaching too far to the right or left, you know they ain't gonna stay still. And that's what I did. I was painting along the line on one of the letters, leaned too far to the right, and the middle crate shot out. And I went sideways, came down, landed on the edge, the corner of the crate, the bottom crate, right in my ribs. And um, I likely fractured them. I know I did. You know, and if you ever had a bruised or fractured or broken rib, you know, that knocks all over. You can't really breathe. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I'm on the ground fucking heaving and shit. I'm not making no noise, just trying to breathe, you know. <clears throat> I mean, I didn't even have enough energy or wind to go, ouch. And so Asia walks over and he's like, yo, you all right? And I'm like, no. <laughs> well, I couldn't really talk. And so, um, but I wasn't panicking. So I was like, I'm just going to lay here for a minute, catch my breath. And he was like, you sure? You know, <laughs> in the sense, like, should we stop? You take you to the hospital? And I was like, no, nah, just let me lay here for a while. This fool went back, started painting, finishing the car. I laid there for about 20, 30 minutes. <laughs> And then I got up, I finished the car, and then we did a second car, huh. which was insane, because I, I fucked myself up so bad, it was numb. The next day, man, I could hardly breathe without having excruciating praying. And, you know, I just take myself up and went to fucking school. <laughs> <laughs> so it was some wild stuff we did that wasn't really smart but there was just nothing that was going to I was so on adrenaline of finishing them cars that I did it we, got, we was fiending for it you know and the nights that I wouldn't go he would go anyway <laughs> Asian definitely had the Jones he did a lot more trains than I did we did a, we did a lot of just solo name cars too I got a lot of those I mean, we did a, we did plenty of trains that weren't productions or whole cars. It was just pieces. You know, I post some on my Instagram from time to time, but I haven't really dug through it. I lost a lot of pictures. You know, the pigs had raided a writers meeting in Sacramento in the late '90s. Just they were just really trying to be up to, you know, just man, really just harassing writers. Period. <clears throat> And um, they rolled up on a writer's meeting and I had my photo albums out. You know, it was writers looking at them. And so the pigs confiscated my shit. 
Did anything yeah. happen, or could they do anything, or did they just take your photos? They just stole the photos, you know. I got down to the station, when I was getting out, I'm like, yo, you know, where's my photo book? And they were, like, looking right in my face, it was like, what photo book? I was like, oh, that's what y'all trying to do, and they just stole it. Uh, but I had a lot of pictures in there of pieces that I didn't have my own documentation of. So there were pieces I did that other writers gave me or people flicked because a lot of trains got away on me. You know, I did it. I went home, came back to get a picture, train gone. So, you know, those pieces are just, unless they turn up. I mean, there's people who got pictures of my stuff I ain't got. So. Were you in touch with other writers like out of state? At that point? Yeah, I was building with writers um, in as far away as Canada, um, New York, and Los Angeles. Who were you trading with back then? I'll drop a few names, but um, <laughs> I was trading with uh, Chase and um, Steel Wheels out of Atlanta. Yeah. Um, Toons was back in L.A. I was, you know, trading picks with him, definitely with King157. Um, uh, there's people I knew uh, that were into the, the freights and other train stuff like Ket uh, and a few other folks you know there were other people on the east coast I was you know dealing with um, you know that, that was about it it was a network <laughs> no pun in, all pun intended actually <laughs> all of pun intended. and people that was into this stuff um, but we were getting some things around. There were some guys in uh, Canada, too. Uh, Duro and Seder. Yeah, I remember. And Chrome. And shit. there were guys in Ottawa we were trading with. Ottawa, Ontario, and Vancouver. Wow. Those were the areas we were connected with. And we painted trains that went to all them areas. There were certain yards in SAC that were main identified one of the biggest identification yards in Roseville, right? And we studied that yard to the point uh, where we figured out which trains, if we paint a train on this particular track, it's going to Canada. You paint a train on this track, it's going to Southern California. You paint a train on this track, it's going to the Midwest or the East Coast. Would you track the freights after you painted them? Yep. At that time, see everything, the internet, see this early 90s, ain't no internet. And it's, that shit ain't even popping, you know? So what we did, uh, they had an automated number you can call. I don't know if you know about this. Yeah. And so we would call the number, put in, you know, the car, and it would tell us where it was and where um, when it was going to get a, to another destination. It would give you that information. So I would be able to call people and be like, hey, one of my cars come in Chicago. So we're writers like Dan's, you know. I trade a lot of flicks with him. Um, and other Chicago writers. We'd be like, yo, my car coming at to the shy, you know, tomorrow at this particular yard. Go and catch it. And they would catch it because that's how I would get flicks. If I miss my car, when we would go, I would we got hip enough that if you hit a car at night and you had to cut, you couldn't get flicks. You wrote the, I will write on the sketch, the the number, the tracking number. So if it got away from me, I could track it. I could, I could even track it coming back to sack and flick it again. And I did do that. 
Hmm. I did do that. Sometimes we would do one of our cars was in Roseville. We have to, we painted it in downtown, but it's in Roseville, so we drive up to Roseville and get a pick and find it. So it was it was adventurous. All you know, all of them aspects of it was cool. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And um, then later in the '90s, I would say around '95, all the Sacramento Johnny come lately decided they want to <laughs> take a little touch at the freights because we was just tearing it up. And who, and so who are those guys? '96, I, I would say they really jumped in. I was I was talking to someone from Sacramento, and he he mentioned how you would. I think he said dozens of riders. You kind of take them under your wing, teach them how to do it. Tell me about that. Who were who were some of your proteges? Uh, we put together put together put together times crew GT crew. So that was made up of a guy Sket who also wrote Stu, uh, Drone, and. Um, Oh man, who else? Jessel, J E S L, and uh, Map, M A P, and uh, there was a couple others, but those were the main guys, you know. Then later, Emer, Minus, Braun, you know, all of them dudes was down with TNS for a spell, and um, I mean. My attitude about it, and I would say it was mostly my undertaking, because the rest of the crew wasn't really fucking with them. But, um, because it was just different. You know, hip-hop, it ain't just the art form. For us, it's also the culture. You know what I mean? Yeah. And a lot of these dudes, they didn't come from the communities we came from. They didn't understand the culture. They were just sprung off the art. You know? And they was already trying to do their thing, and most of them was whack as fuck. And um, and didn't really know up from down with the culture, you know. My my attitude about it was, man, if you're gonna be around, I gotta look at your shit. At least let me like what I'm looking at. So <laughs> it, it started as a selfish intention, to tell you the truth. Cause I just didn't want to look at no toy ass shit. It was really that simple. Um, but the dudes, you know, some of the guys came in very eager, and ended up. You know, I would give them outlines and, and um, show them some different techniques, and they would take off with it, do their thing. Um, Drone did some nice pieces. I really liked some of the ones Stu was doing for a while. You know, you had other writers, I'd give them an outline, and they would basically just keep painting different versions of the same outline. Oh, they, they weren't creative, you know? In that regard, they were stereotypical white boys. Not creative, <laughs> but good imitators. You know, but you have some others that got a little more creative with it and put them on, on spin and made some nice pieces. And I think them combined with us, that extension of the crew made our presence seem a lot larger and bigger. <clears throat> because SAC at that point started producing a lot of dope pieces. Oh, yeah. I would say um, the hottest areas for California were Los Angeles, San Jose, and. Um, Sacramento. Yeah. Sacramento was louder than the Bay. Well, I, I, let me retract that. Because, see, that's when you start getting certain city city supremacy and getting very funny-style Bay-centric. Because when I think of the Bay, in my mind, it's Oakland, Berkeley, San Francisco. But people from San Jose would take offense to that. So I can't say San Jose is separate from the Bay. So 
let me just say L.A., the Bay, and Sacramento. Because San Jose reps so hard. They rep the Bay, the whole thing. King 157 and Picasso alone are notable enough to create a scene. That's how much damage and work they put in. Just them two, and there were others. Yeah. Dare did some trains too. You know, there were other writers. Um, I want to say Casper and K2 did a couple trains as well. Hmm. Crayon even at one point did some trains. Dream was doing some trains. There were a lot of dope writers from the Bay Area that did trains, but it wasn't necessarily a thing. You know, there were writers doing trains in the Bay Area with pieces, like I said, 86, 87. It just wasn't like a movement. It was just those few writers got down like that. But by the 90, early 90s, it was a movement. So I only take credit for pioneering the movement Sacramento with nobody doing that shit in Sac before us. That was another Frankenstein crew I put together. Uh, Fink, Text, and Closet. Yeah, that was the, they weren't in Good Times? They were kind of in good time. They were the alternate, you know, d- see what happened was there were a lot of little small crew wannabes and all these little knuckleheads <laughs> wannabes was beefing with each other. They didn't like each other. So what I would do <clears throat> is I would, they were already in little clicks. I would just take their click and create a, a, a crew like a band. So they were PC crew, petty crime. Yeah. But they were... Like a division of GT, you know, but they didn't rock with them dudes. They didn't like them dudes. They were in competition with them dudes because they, they battled each other. I just didn't care because to me, they was just fussing kids. So I was like, look, you, you want to do this? You want to do this? Fuck it. Let's, let's do this. I don't know why you talking shit about him. Y'all both whack. Let's go. <laughs> but to their credit, you know, when it was time to show up and learn some shit and get busy, they did that, you know. And then pieces got around. I done some stuff. Um, thinking closet did some cars that I liked. They were really cool. All of them dudes did some stuff shit that I like. Who else was down? Karma. He was down. That was he was GT. Um, he kind of had his own thing going. Kind of some basic funk stuff, but he was clean. So it's GT. That that was a sub crew of TNS, which was a sub crew of TCB. Yeah. Was it? Were they kind of all layers of the same crew? They're, Did it... they're related. They're related. Okay. GT was like our bastard sons. <laughs> that yeah. was some personal Frankenstein shit. I did. The rest of the crew was like, "Reefer, that's you over there with that shit." That ain't got nothing to do with us, you know. But the styles were similar. You know? Yeah. No, there's there's definitely a, a Sacramento style at that time. Well, fools were already biting. Yeah. So my thing was, well, I started just smacking people in the head for biting, and then they doing the shit wrong, but they already trying to learn, so show them. Yeah. I just show them everything. I just showed them, uh, I showed them a style, and that's what they did, and that's why all their stuff has a similar look. What defined the TNS style or the TCB style? was it was a marriage between LA technique and straight letter style and Bay Area wild style. 
Nice. That's what the Sacramento Sacramento is a hybrid of the best of LA and the best of the Bay together. Well, that's that's nice. Tombs Tombs was a writer from LA. So the the genesis of what created uh Sacramento style is Los Angeles. And when Tombs got to Sacramento to do what he did, he hooked up with Crayon from San Francisco, mm-hmm. and they hit high schools in Sacramento that, that inspired writers like Speck and Mad Hatter to paint because they rocked Valley High School. And them dudes came to school one day and saw the pieces that Crown and Tunnel did, and they was like, oh, shit, what is that? I want to do that. And they started writing. So Toons is really the the godfather credited with starting the scene in SAC. I would say people credit that to me. Um, but the reality is is that when I met Toons, TCB had already been a king crew in SAC from 1985. I didn't get there till 88. And when I got there, their crew was dying. Like, the dudes had already graduated high school, they had jobs, some of them was getting married, they was just, they was 20 years old, 21 years old, they was grown, you know, and the last one that kept going with it was Tombs, you know, I painted with the whole old crew, cast of the crew, one or two times, um, maybe it's been about two times, and then after that, it was just me and Tombs, and there wasn't really any writing scene in Sacramento, that's 80, 88. And so a lot of people think Wright started in SAC in 88 because it went from nothing to a whole lot of something. But that nothing period had a something before that. <laughs> but people don't know there was history before 88. There was. There was history there before I got there. It's just that I'm responsible for hooking up with tunes and rebirthing it. We re- rebirthed it. Cool. But the, the first president of TCB or the founder of TCB was a, a brother named Doc Wan. I think he also he went to Del Paso Heights High School. So, yeah, that's how that got going. And that's how the style evolved. I like that those two styles combined. I never thought of it like that. Who were writers that you really looked up to or that you were really inspired by in the beginning? I mean, there's quite a few. Um, without a question, the writing movement in uh, New York City was primary for me. So, I mean, aside from seeing some of it personally, but not knowing enough about the culture and history to know what I was looking at, I was inspired from jump. But once I was able to start putting name and style and art and making those connections was after uh, Subway Art and Star Wars came out. Those were huge, influential pieces of media that hit the Northern California, or California period, the West Coast period. So all the main writers in those films, Case 2, Vulcan, Phase Two, Riff One Seventy, uh, Dero. These were some of my favorite writers. Sack, Chain Three. You know, these were some of my favorite writers. You know, but 
they were influential across the board, or even other writers that were doing things a little more abstract, like Futura. You know, we liked his work. The whole New York movement was attractive. And I think different parts of California um, gravitated toward different writers or schools of style. L.A. had more of a straight letter style with a thick outline. So there were certain writers in New York that had that look. And then the Bay Area had more of the very wild, very abstract, more of the phase two Vulcan look was more um, impressionable here, as well as crews like uh, um, TDS and TMT. Hmm. So that stuff took off here. So, and then you had writers yeah. from different places move to California that also inspired the movement here, like Orko coming here from Chicago and what he brought. And he was a trained writer in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So um, there's certain writers locally, you know, but I mean, you know, I'm saying starting, it yeah. was New York, but locally, crews like TWS. They had really, they had some of the dopest technique I had just ever seen, period. Um, writers like Crayon and um, also crews uh, like TMF. I like what they were doing, you know, definitely when Orko was, um, seemed like he was uh, helping them put together some really dope, you know, production schemes. And they all came with it. Um, you had people in there like Dean, Doug, Bizarro, Rise. Now, those dudes were fresh. And across the bridge in the East Bay, crews like TDK, you know, with Dream. Mm-hmm. Super dope. You know, him and Vogue were pulling off some amazing productions. And um, definitely one of the godfathers of the Barrier Movement, Dell Fresh, without question. You know, there's many writers in Berkeley, you know, um, Task Force, West Coast Untouchables, KTD, you know, which I'm a member of. Um, writers like uh, Rubberman, um, writers like Ham 2, writers like Shadow, Razor, Pacer. These were the writers that I looked up to. Super dope cats, cool dudes. Cool, man. Uh, what for you personally? What was the best year for graffiti? Um, I would say the golden age for writing in the West Coast was the eighties. Nothing top the eighties to me. Huh. Um, I would say from eighty five to ninety three are the best years of writing. Huh. In now, there was dope shit after that, no question. Sure. But in terms of the culture looking like and acting like its natural self, yes. After 93, hip-hop in general is outside of this cultural context. Hmm. It's different. Its expression is different. And there are certain things that got lost culturally. See, before that time, you could go and look at a writer's work, and just from the way that you tag your name, I could tell what city you're from. And sometimes I could tell what crew you're from, you know, because your flow of your tag might reflect the area you lived. 
You know, there was a bus hopper style in San Francisco that only writers who did that, who were from that area, tagged that way. Now, it wasn't that other writers could not do it, who were from different cities, but if we did it, we would notate that this is an SF hand style. This belongs to them. This is where it comes from. You know, the same way that certain crews uh, use colors, we could tell, okay, that's San Francisco style. You from the city. If you did certain other kinds, of, are you from Oakland? Y'all do these big, tall, high top, high hat <laughs> S's and shit, you know, for that time period. You know, you'd be like, this is Oakland style. Even other places in terms of states and cities, you know, Philadelphia had a taller style of lettering. If you wrote like that, that was the Philadelphia style. Some in New York call it a Broadway style, but it's from Philadelphia. So there were regional styles. People wrote where they wrote because there wasn't a lot of periodicals. There wasn't internet and all of that. You know, the, there wasn't the amount of bastardization and, uh, and biting that you have now. Hmm. You know, there was more of a rites of passage. If you knew that style, you were in those crews with those writers who taught it to you. So you're a child in that bloodline. Now what you got is a whole writing society of bastards hmm. and biters. They don't know who they, the father they style is. They don't care. Anything goes, you know, it's not really cultural. It's just, it's just an art. See, it, writing, that a lot of folks understand, it's a culture. It ain't just an art. Yeah, that was, that was one of my questions. I was like, what is what is graffiti to you? Is it, you know, is it an art form? Is it about politics? Is it about letters? And I, I mean... I'll let you answer the question, but I like how you're describing it as a culture. I mean, it's about all of that. Yeah. You know, it's about all of that. It's about all of that. But, you know, it's definitely um, coming from, you know, a deep place of identity and existence. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's, I guess you could say it's a ghetto art, but it's not a ghetto art in the sense that is uh, limited to someone in the ghetto, can't see out the ghetto. It's a ghetto art in the sense that it was born there, but it's like next level on a whole nother galactic plane. <laughs> it's, not contain- it's not something that you can contain intellectually as just ghetto art is born in the ghetto. But that's the genius of the ghetto. That's the genius of creativity in the ghetto. You know? That's the genius of that. And I think a lot of times people say ghetto, they don't think of genius. But that's what it is. And so I'm just saying that that expression of survival, that expression of identity is a, a key component to why the work looks the way it does. It has soul. Um, outside of his cultural context, it don't really have no soul. Love it's it. Like, it's like music, you know, some shit, even on the trains. I mean, some stuff is dancing, it's moving, it's rocking. The other stuff, you like that shit is boring, it's playing. What, what is that? <laughs> Love it. If, it. if it wasn't on Afraid, it wouldn't move at all. So good. And then, you know, the, it's different even, you know, now, just the personality, the culture is also... The, the, the social aspect of it, 
You know, now it's so goofy. There was mystique. Your reputation of your art preceded you. People didn't even know who you were. Now everybody want to be a fucking star and shit. It's goofy. It's more of a personality, a pissing contest of a bunch of assholes than um, creative beings and spirits letting it loose. There was something to it being a, a you being a myth. Hmm. Something to that. You know, people know the work. They have to tap into that plane in their imagination to see what you're really saying. Yeah, man. But now it's so dumbed down, you know. You know, they need a face, they need a name. You know, some of the some of the graph videos and other things that came out later, I guess kinda messed that up. I, I, I suppose I could say I'm partially guilty in that area too. I was in video graph doing some stuff and Zach we killed Light Rail. But um even that. It wasn't like, hey, look at me. It was fools putting at work. Sure. You don't know my face. You don't know why. It's not even important. So, I mean, you're still doing it. I I mean, so to what is... You know, to a degree. I mean, sure. I'm still catching pieces. I'm, I'm in more retired mode. I mean, <laughs> and in that, it just means I ain't out there campaigning where, you know, this is what I do. It's like I catch something here and there. Um, you know, I don't, I don't go out with a mission like tonight. I'm going bombing, but it's kind of like, if I'm out, I got a marker and I got some paint and the opportunity presents itself. I'm going to do what I naturally know to do. Hmm. So, but I still participate. I'm more of a fan now. <laughs> so is there anyone, is there anyone now who's doing stuff you like? You know, I really haven't been paying attention to the freights. Um, and so much of writing, it, it just got so oversaturated yeah. that um, it's just like the music on the radio. It's kind of like, well, damn, how often do you hear a real hit when you turn it on? Most of it's trash hmm. and and cheap. And that's how I feel about a lot of it right now. But there's people out there putting in work, you know, and there's so much talent out there. It's hard to even keep up with the names anymore. Yeah, you know, but I'm. What I have been excited about is some of the 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 reblossoming of old school writers. You know, coming out of New York, coming back out after some of them like twenty years and painting again. People like Part, you know, that's dope. Um, uh, other writers, you know, uh, TMT crew writers, you know, getting up doing their thing. It's been real dope. You know, it's nice to see cats doing their thing. Writers like Sack and Shane, you know, from Tag Crew and uh, MBT. Them dudes are doing some dope-ass pieces and cars together. So some of, seeing some of the classic writers come back out uh, with that original expression, you know, writers like Fed, too. It's exciting to see people like that. These were the legends of, like, 1977 and shit like that, you know, and 78. Um coming back with an authentic look that you just can't copy. You, you, you down there just really do have to be from the projects in Harlem or the Bronx to paint letters the way they do them, you mm -hmm. know, because it has that feel to it. It has a soul to it that you can't, you can't fake. And I love to see that work. 
But it's writers all over the world doing some shit. You know, I organized an event called Aerosol. And so what I did was um, I brought out uh, some of the best that the African community has to offer. And it was basically supposed to depict the, uh, the African writing experience. You know, uh, often with most things, the, the narrative gets changed. And oftentimes the contribution that has been made, you know, from my community is left out. And with such a culture like this, you can't leave it out because it's literally the foundation and some of the most impactful and pivotal. So you can't leave it out. Yet and still, when people are telling their stories and documenting things, it can get left out or just not noted. So you may talk about a writer, but in terms of the impact, but we thought it was uh, equally important to uh, writers from that community come together and just to paint as a, as a symbol of unity and to create inspiration for our community because they're struggling. Crack, fuck, you know, our community up and all kind of other shit, police terrorism, et cetera, you know, and conditions to kind of push negative gang activity in the community. So it's like, yo, we need to, we can say something with our work. And so that's a big part of what Aerosol was about. And, um, it worked. I mean, you had you had people painting back to back like Chain Three, Scheme Tunes, and Mode Two and Pose Two, all at one time. And original pioneers of LA like Soon, all at one time. You know, <clears throat> so if we even had Slave was here from Fab Five, Fab Five Slave from the seventies. When was this? Do you do this every year, or how often does this event happen? This happened 2010, 2012, and 2013. Nice. Is there another one coming up? Well, we're working on trying to get another one together, but we're still um, tightening up some some, uh, details because we want to make this one a lot more successful than the other ones. They were successful, but we want to do something that's... uh, this monumental. So yeah, expect something. Um, when we <laughs> pin a date down, it'll be on our website. That's at aerosolart.com. A-E-R-O-S-O-U-L-A-R-T.com. Cool. And we even had writers here from the continent of West Africa. You nice, know, the, man. Move, the movement there is huge. You know, and we've been, Aerosol in terms of the organization has been to participate in in the African version of aerosol, you could say, um, for the past four years. So, I mean, I've been rocking pieces on the continent in the motherland. That's yeah. really cool. Um, so, you know, that's mostly what I'm working on right now. You know, I've been putting together shows, you know, bringing writers out here through here so people can meet these legends, you know, and um, see that inspiration. Very cool. Um, I'm, I'm kind of going back through the list, make sure we didn't miss anything. Uh, what's what's the craziest story from from painting? Do you have any, uh, do you have any crazy you know, stories? Either being chased or yeah, I got what? some crazy ones. I can't even tell, but um, I think one interesting one on the freight tip is uh, 
same thing. I was, you know, I was doing the last big end-to-end I did. It was a top-to-bottom, and I painted it with Emer. And originally, Emer was not supposed to be my partner for that car. It was, it was going to be the Age of Aquarius car, and me and Asia was supposed to do it. And some came up where he just wasn't going to paint it. And I think he was hanging up the cans on the trains for, you know, and I was like, man, can we do this car? And he was like, nah, can't do it. And I was just determined to do this car. So I called Emer and I was like, yo, we're going to do this car. And he was like, all right, well, I'll start getting outline. I said, nah, I already got your outline. <laughs> so, uh, and I gave him the outline and to his credit, he rocked it. And uh, while we got that car up, I think we had both of the pieces fully filled in, um, partial outlines, uh, no background, and then the fucking yard got raided. And again, we had to throw the ladders down under the trains, hide them, and go and hide. And we did. And they knew there were riders in the yard, so they were looking for us. We waited. We stayed where we were. An hour later, we came back out the shadows. We was like, fuck that. We finished in this car. He come in. We're going to run. I'm like, nope. So where this did you coach, hide? This is a top to bottom, too? Hell no. We finished in this car. <laughs> we, we came back out. And we iced that bad boy off. Hooked up the background. It's top to bottom hopper. Age of Aquarius. That and, was... Um, I think they had a... a there was a freight competition you're supposed to send in your best whole car or whatever to volume volume one magazine mm-hmm. yeah I remember volume one. The, yeah the winner would win a subscription and then they would make a a little model train with the car you did and so we won that shit that's cool we took first place and even this the car that got second place was from sack and that was another emer and pay dirt they did a you suck sunk my battleship car. Yeah, I remember that one too. Yeah, that one took second place. Yeah, the Age of Aquarius car that was on the the back cover of issue four of Crime Time. Emer sent it to me, I think. I think we were the first ones to print it, actually. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, that was that was a fun one. How did you guys hide for that? Like, where did you hide? Uh, just ran between other trains and hid, you know, up okay. on and around cars. And sure. Wherever you could. <laughs> That's cool. I mean, they, these pigs are dumb. They come in with flashlights, so you could see them from a distance. <laughs> like, there they go. And then they had, like, a little golf cart they were trying to smash up in there. So it's like, uh, we, you know, we seen them. I mean, we, I'd cat and mouse them all the time. They wouldn't shit. That's cool. You know, there was only a few times where the actual police like sack pd came in the yard and um that happened one night where they were just way too i I mean i feel like pc gt and a whole nother crew was in the yard all one night at the same time it was stupid and that's why i used to this was toward the end days where i was drying up up there because um you know it was just me i didn't have my pain partner i mean me and Asia used to rob toys in the yard. <laughs> I ain't gonna say no names, but I didn't said some of them already. I'll just say that, <laughs> you know, before they got before some people got down with us and cool with us. That's what happened. They come in the yard, man. We taking a paint. 
whatever, run their pockets. Because we told people, stay out this yard. We found it this yard. We know how to paint it, rock it. Don't be in here making it hot for us. Go someplace else. You know, so, I mean, it was fair warm. You know, but the reasoning for that was we cleaned up our cans. We knew not to paint over the numbers. We knew if we painted over the numbers on the train to paint them back onto the train. We didn't make anything difficult for the workers. Um, the engines that, it, that were in that yard that did not leave the yard, because there's one that just would push and pull trains, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Don't fuck with that. Don't hit that. Don't hit that engine. The barn that the workers worked in, don't bomb that. Don't hit that. You know, we didn't, the idea was, is that the only evidence of our presence was the art on the train. And if you wasn't paying attention, you didn't even know that the art of the train got done there. But when these toys were coming, man, they violated every single rule I just mentioned and some extra ones. Hmm. And they dumbasses were being there with flashlights while they paint. Like, just doing stuff to make the yard hot. So if they came in two days before you got the yard hot and you come up there and the pigs are all hot on the yard, they looking for these suckers and then you get nabbed. Okay. We already knew the possibility of happening, so we were like, nah, y'all ain't finna do us like that. So we just regulated them. But when it got to a point where I wasn't hitting the yard like before, Asia was already done, and now all the little wannabes came out to play, and it, the yard got raided. I mean, police came from every single direction. Somebody just got caught. Everybody didn't get away. They raided the yard from every direction. It was crazy. Did you ever get busted? No. Um, what would happen in terms of me having uh, interaction with police around freights is that every time we went to Roseville, the pigs would pull us over just because we was black driving through there. And they were like, we know you, know, we know you don't know nobody here. What are y'all doing here? I mean, that we would get pulled over just on the profiling. They didn't know we were going to the freight yard. They didn't know we were coming from the freight yard. They were just like, why are you here? We just got pulled over just off the top. So going into Roseville was tricky because we had to really just, we stuck out. So how do you just slip in in this racist-ass town where they literally have clan and shit, park your car, and then walk to the yard? Once we got in the yard, we were good. The problem was getting to the yard and getting and, and leaving the yard. Just dealing with crazy ass white people, um, but you know, other than that, nah. I mean, we were pretty smooth. I mean, and then other times, just lucky. Honestly, there were some times I got chased hardcore, and I really thought I was gonna get caught. I just got away. Hmm. I mean, even that night where the yard got raided from every direction. I mean, shit, they they were literally coming every direction. I mean, like police running toward you police running from behind you and there's people on your right and your left and the, the police running towards you just happen to run toward one of them dudes while you ran past him. <laughs> yeah, there was times I got away just like that. Like, if he chose me, it might have been a different story. He chose you, I ran. <laughs> but, you know, after that, <laughs> on the other end of it, you know, the, the, you know, the police, it's, it's a little bit different now, but not that different, but also I look like I'm gonna be a fight. A lot of these other writers, they were smaller than me. Yeah. Yeah. So 
it is what it is. Some of it's just luck. Cool, man. I've been trying to get this interview forever, so I appreciate you taking the time. Anything else you want to say in closing? Well, I'll, you know, I'll throw this tidbit in there since you didn't ask about it. <laughs> but uh, oftentimes, if you looked on the, the trains that me and Asia would paint, we would drop the political jewel. It would say things like smash the state or fuck capitalism or I did a train on on and on an oiler car. And on one side, it said <clears throat> capitalism is you know, dot, dot, dot. And then it was like death. And then on the other side of the piece, it says socialism is dot, 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 life. And in the middle of that car, did a Zell piece. So we would always drop jewels. You know what I'm saying? We did pieces where we would talk about how uh, America is, is colonized land, that this land belongs to the Native Americans. We would do cars and pieces where we was dissing the wars happening in the Mideast. You know, the first Gulf War. Um, all kind of shit. Man, we even took some shots at Zionism. It was, we did all kind of cars. Definitely um, a whole bunch of trains that were pushing um, Pan-Africanism, um, revolutionary na- Af- black nationalism, things like that. I did an anniversary car, you know, for me and my lady, you know, former lady, you know, years ago where we had both of our names with a big red, black, and green the whole car and over the top said the Revolutionary Union on a Union Pacific car. But the message <clears throat> was also what set us apart because we had something to say. Hmm. You know, and we were speaking to the conditions that existed. It wasn't like this little goofy nerd graffiti bubble where it's like people act like it's detached from everything else. It's like, well, no, it was a part of that conversation too of just what's going on in society, politically and culturally. Man, like I said, the crew stood for taking those sellouts. A sellout was somebody who believed in the white racist status quo, Mm -hmm. who wanted peace on a plantation, who would do anything just, you know, to come up to be in Mass's house. And we were rebels. You know what I'm saying? We were rebels, so the crew was taking those sellouts. If you if you couldn't kind of take that position, then you couldn't really be down with us. Yeah, because I mean, like I said, it wasn't just the art. It wasn't like, well, you're talented, so you come paint with us. It's like, are you hip to what's going on? Writing is a rebellious art form. It is it is an attack on the establishment. It's not just people who like to paint some cute-ass letters. You know, we're, we're battling over ideas, over their imposed way of communication with that alphabet. It's a battle. We're reclaiming our language, you know what I'm saying, with the battle of these symbols with these letters. So that, that was all a part of it. I mean, to, to us, that was still part of the essence of writing. Dude, I love you know? it, man. It's good stuff. But, yeah. So, I mean, some of those things stuck out. Plus, we knew a lot of people who were not writers were going to be seeing these cars. So, you know, we, I mean, we were, we were rebelling. <laughs> very cool. Well, I, I would just say, you know, expect more. <laughs> we're still alive. <laughs> we're still going to be doing some things, you know. There might be a few surprises to pop out there, you know check for it and um definitely encourage all the young writers to keep doing it you know be smart 
it's it's more criminalized now. So there's a lot more to lose if you get caught because of the unsophistication of this beast that criminalizes people for expressing their soul. However, we encourage people also to continue to do that. Keep painting, keep rocking. Don't stop. Come fresh. Come as unique and original as you can. Have fun. And and organize. <laughs> There's so much petty competition, it's hard for writers to organize. I mean, the movement should be more important. Your primary enemy shouldn't be other writers. Nice, man. Well put. But understand with this interview, this is primarily just a, a, more of a background and a perspective of what I was doing as a freight train writer. So there's many other things about walls and other crews that I belong to that are a big part of my writing history that I did not talk about. And a whole lot of writers that I did not mention in that light. This is really just more about a, a, a cursory glance of Sacramento writing history as it led up to the freight writing aspect. That's it. Right. You know, my Bay Area history, all of that, that ain't, that wasn't really in this. Just a little bit. Yeah, because um, no one should read this and be like, all right, dude, well, this is the complete definitive reefer. This is reef on the freights. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, good. Maybe I'll stop being lazy and actually dig out <laughs> some photos. I have a few things. Yeah, man. If you could send me some of, like, the morning after shots. <laughs> the morning after shots. That's what she said. <laughs> We've had a girl writer did rock with us for a minute. She wrote Cozy. Yeah, K-O-Z-Y. Um, and then, you know, we had all kind of alternate names, too, man. So there'd be a lot of pieces that got done in Sacramento. People probably think the other writers, and it was just alternate names me and Asia was doing. Um, yeah, I'll look. I'll look. Matter of fact, I might snap a flick of a freight and throw it up on the ground tonight. All right, cool. Well, we'll be in touch. All right, cool. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right, you got it. Talk to you. Later.